Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we do thank you today for your word. We pray that as we open it, you would open our eyes. You would also open our hearts. Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to participate in what you're doing in the world around us, to obey you and to bring you glory. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. We are in Amos chapter 9, and I'm going to go ahead and read it. And here's what it says. Verse 1, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, smite the capitals, another translation says pillars, so that the thresholds will shake and break them on the heads of them all. And then I will slay the rest of them with the sword. This is obviously judgment here, guys. They will not have a fugitive who will flee or a refugee who will escape. Though they dig into Sheol, from there will my hand take them. And though they ascend to heaven, from there will I bring them down. Though they hide on the summit of Carmel, I will search them out and take them from there. And though they conceal themselves from my sight on the floor of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and it will bite them or devour them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword and it will slay them. I will set my eyes against them for evil and not for good. The Lord God of hosts, the one who touches the land so that it melts and all those who dwell in it mourn and all of it rises up like the Nile and subsides the Nile of Egypt. The one who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and has founded his vaulted dome over the earth. He who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel? Declares the Lord, have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Arameans from Ker? Behold, the eyes of the Lord are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a, sea, in a sieve. We usually would say sheave, but sieve or saive. But not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword. Those who say the calamity will not overtake or confront us. Everyone who believed that this would not happen or believed the false prophets in their reports, this will happen. Verse 11, in that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins, rebuild it as in the days of old, and they may possess the, they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. When the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved and I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted or uprooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord God. And this is the end of the book, the final chapter, chapter 9. What we've been seeing sort of unfold throughout the entire book is from the beginning, we see accusations and indictments of other nations. 
then we see one accusation towards Judah, and then the rest is all about what Israel has been, how Israel has been living, and God's judgment against her actions. And what we realize is not that this is God's response sort of overnight, but over a long period of time, years of disobedience and rebellion, God then sends prophets. They don't listen to the prophets. In fact, they try to kill the prophets, if not kill them. And God says, that's it. I've got to enact judgment. It's his last resort. It's the last resort of a loving God. The book of Amos plays that out. And in a way, it just really, it's laying out God's heart, his justice, and his mercy, and eventually his judgment, because there's no response on behalf of the people. And we've read, starting in chapter 7, there are five visions that Amos has shown. We read the first three in chapter 7. Pastor Scott taught us one of the visions in chapter 8. And then today, we see this final vision that begins in chapter 9, where Amos sees the Lord, starting in verse 1. He sees him standing by the altar in Bethel. And let's just go through it real quickly. Um, He sees him standing there, and he's commanding, really, that the temple would be torn down, and it would fall upon the worshipers. Now, what we read in several verses from verse 2 to verse 3 is you have this picture of the people of Israel who realize now as judgment begins to fall that this is going to consume them, and so they start to try to get out of it. That's the picture that's being played out here is that the people who are being judged will try to hide from the judgment once they realize that it actually is going to happen. And so you have this vision where Amos says this is going to happen from the temple, the very place where the people of Israel expect to hear peace and they expect to be encouraged and strengthened. It is starting from that very place, the house of God, that judgment will come. And as judgment comes, no one will escape what God begins to do. And that's what you see playing out. So there's this command where God is saying from the very temple, from the very pillars of the foundation of the temple, I will, break, I will break them on their heads. I will slay the rest of them with the sword. There will be no fugitive. There will be no refugee. Everyone will experience this judgment. No one will get out. He goes on to say, though people dig into Sheol, they try to hide, I will overtake them. Though they ascend high in the mountains, the heavens, I will still overtake them. Though they hide on the summit of Carmel, we're talking about the mountain ranges of Carmel, 1,800 feet elevation, 1,800 feet up from the Mediterranean Sea. This, this would be their mountain range. That's, that's not too high. God's judgment will reach wherever the people of Israel are, though they, though they try to make their bed in the sea. You can remember that David even spoke like this. He talked about the height and the depth and that there's no place that we can hide from the presence, the omnipresence of the Lord. We can't hide from God. And this is what this judgment is, is saying here. Amos is, is speaking on behalf of God that this will happen, you will not escape it. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, even though some are, are scattered abroad, they will still experience judgment. It really is just this laying out of a picture of nobody's going to get out of this. Everybody's going to experience the judgment of the Lord. Here's what we learn. We learn that when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. We've talked about that before, but often what we find in, in the Bible, especially when it, as it pertains to the judgment, we see that there's sort of this delay. 
and it's the mercy of God that delays the judgment. And as God gives mercy, sometimes people mistake that mercy for this God not fulfilling his word, like this will not happen. In fact, we see that as it pertains to the end times, there's sort of this idea that people in the last days will say, well, when is his coming? As though it's not going to happen. Or people will be eating and drinking and being merry and living in this sort of drunkenness state um, in such a way where they're sort of mocking that Jesus will not return, judgment will not be enacted upon the earth, when in reality his delay is really a revelation of his mercy. God does not want to judge, but his judgment or delay of judgment is only because he's a loving God. And so we see that he's saying nobody will get out of this. And then we start to read about verse, in verse 5, 6, 7, the Lord God of hosts, the God, God of the armies, the one who touches the land so that it melts. It sort of goes into talking about God. He makes his, he, 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 he makes his abode in upper chambers, like he's majestic. We're, it, just sort of a reminder of how great and majestic and awesome God is. Several verses that actually begin to talk about that. He commands the waters of the sea and all of these things. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. God is majestic. God is glorious. We're talking about this God. So where there's this idea that maybe he's delaying and he's not going to do it, we're talking about this God. This God will do what he says that he's going to do. And so right down to verse 8, and we read about, Behold, the eyes of the Lord are on the sinful kingdom, Israel. I will destroy them from the face of the earth. Nevertheless, I will not destroy the house of Jacob. So now he introduces this idea of a remnant. Behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations as a grain is shaken in a sieve, but not a kernel will fall to the ground. In other words, I will shake everything that can be shaken, and that which remains will be the remnant, the true grain. But everything that can be shaken from that that's not the true grain, it will fall to the ground. But a kernel, the wheat, it will not fall to the ground. So this is sort of this idea of sifting and remnant. And that's what gives way to restoration, the conversation of restoration. Judgment will come. Nobody will escape it. But, verse 11, God will restore. In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David. This goes back to 2 Kings chapter 7 where there's a promise over the household and the kingdom of David that there will be a perpetual, eternal kingdom. And we know that's manifested in Jesus Christ. Naturally speaking, Jesus was born of the line of David. We know that. And so that's what that promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is all about. It's not David. It's not naturally speaking. It's that the spiritual kingdom that will come from the natural line of David which really is giving birth to the Messiah, Jesus, who's much more than just a man. But that's what the promise is all about. This is about the, the, the booth of David, the kingdom of David, really is the kingdom of Christ, is what that's referring to. But when the Messiah comes, that's when the rebuilding will happen. That day, they may possess the remnant of Edom. And this is where, in I believe it's Acts chapter 7, this is where the apostles would actually point back to the promise of the prophet saying that Gentiles will even be, a, or sorry, Acts 17, the Gentiles will be a part of this remnant, will be a part of the rebuilding of the new world, of that which God is going to do through this 
through his Messiah, through his kingdom. And so they point back to this verse, actually, believe it or not. And in verse 13, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper. And now he starts to talk about blessing. The day is going to come when judgment is over. The Messiah will come. As the Messiah comes, restoration, rebuilding, all of this will begin to occur. As it does, blessing and abundance will come back to the people, and the people will dwell in their land. And it says they will not be uprooted. And so here we have this tension of Israel being restored, being restored back to their land, the remnant of Israel being raised up, the promises of Israel being fulfilled by God himself through his Messiah, and even language here that talks about the Gentiles. And so we have sort of this tension of knowing that when Jesus comes in his first coming and his second coming, and so there's sort of this in-between time. It doesn't give us enough to fully comprehend that that's what is meant, but because we've seen his first coming and we're awaiting his second coming, we know what this actually means. And so I just want to do give really some very clear, simple principles as a result of this. It's a shorter lesson predominantly because we've been talking about what the prophet is speaking on behalf of God. He's talking about the accusations of their sin and rebellion. He's telling them that the promise of judgment, which God has been saying all along, if they do not repent, this will happen, and it does, and it will. And that's what this culmination in chapter 9 is all about. Judgment is going to happen. And then we read about the restoration. We read about the rebuilding that is going to happen. We read about the Messiah. We read about how Gentiles and the remnant of Israel will be able to be a part of this rebuilding through the Messiah. And there's some things I just want to share with you that I think we can learn not only from chapter 9, but the book of Amos as well as we wrap it up. The first thing is God's people can lose their way. Now, I want to say this because clearly we have seen that not only from this book, but many other books of the Bible. If you followed me at all in what we've referenced in Judges and Deuteronomy, Leviticus, we've talked about this same principle that no matter at what time of history we've watched how the people of Israel, God's people, have lost their way. We see the same thing in the New Testament. We can name the name of Christ even now on this side of the cross, and you and I can lose our way. And this gives us a clear picture that God is calling us constantly and continually to walk with Him in real time. Not about our past, not about the potential of our future. All of that might be wonderful, but today we cannot lose our way. We have got to walk with God today. There is a warning for us. We're studying the book of Revelation on the weekend. We just wrapped up chapter 1. We're going to go into chapter 2 and 3, and we're going to see very clearly that the church of Jesus Christ again and again lost its way. These influential churches, they began to focus on other things. They began to allow compromise. When that happened, all of a sudden their worship to Jesus was not full. Their worship to Jesus was not like it once was. Their first love being Jesus was no longer, he was no longer first. He was second, third, fourth, fifth. He was now down the line in the other affections that they had towards other things. Nobody intends for that to happen. We don't wake up in the morning and want to serve another God. We want to worship something or someone else. Clearly, because he's won our heart, we love him. We want to be with him. We want to be like him. The Holy Spirit is leading us 
The Holy Spirit is convicting us. The Holy Spirit is encouraging us. But we have to yield and surrender. This is a daily thing. In salvation, it's a one-time thing. But in walking with God, it's a daily thing. We can lose our way if we're not careful. The enemy has set himself against us to not only destroy us, but first to deceive us. Deception comes, destruction follows. We've got to make sure that we are constantly and consistently following Jesus. He is constantly and consistently pursuing us. So we just have to respond to his love toward us. And as we do that, we will find that we won't lose our way. We will be in step with the Holy Spirit. We will be looking at Jesus. We will be following his path. Let's not get off that path. Let's let scripture remind us it can happen to us. Let's not have any arrogance thinking that won't happen to me. Friend, if we start thinking that way, it probably already has. And so it's a warning to us. It's also an encouragement for us to realize that God is committed to us more than we are ever committed to him. The scripture says that while we were faithless, he remains faithful. And so we can be encouraged that in his pursuit of us, our response is all that is necessary. And so let's give that to Jesus today and not fool ourselves thinking that what we read about concerning others will not happen to us. We want to continue to commit. Number two is God will shake and he will sift his people. This is not just an Old Testament thing. This is not just an old covenant thing. This is a new covenant thing. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. This concept of shaking the wheat so that not one kernel will fall to the ground, but anything that is there, anything that has grown up in the wheat, anything that got caught in the sheaves or the wheat itself, when that shaking happens, all of that stuff will fall and God will shake this world. God will shake that which can be shaken. That is happening right now. There is a shaking that is transpiring in the days in which we're living. What we need to do, what we want to do, is ensure that our lives are fixed on Jesus, that our lives are founded in Jesus, and nothing less. Whenever things are shaken and, it is, and things are sifted, We want to make sure that what we are and what our life is built on is only Him. We've got to do all kinds of things in this life, but our foundation has got to be Him. Life is about Him. It's not just about having a fun life, a good life, a life where we can enjoy everything about the temporary things. It's got to be grounded in Him. When it is, then we can experience life abundantly. We can have joy even when our external circumstances can't give it to us. It's not just about the external. It's about what he does inside of us. And when we're fixed and we're solid on the rock, whatever is shaking and whenever there is sifting, we will, we will go through that just fine. The third and the final thing is God wants to restore. We continue to read that in the prophets. Sometimes people have this idea, again, in the Old Covenant, through the prophets and their message, that God is about judgment. No, God judges as a last resort. I've always said this, a last resort of a loving God. Because we won't respond, we force God to have to do what he's called us to do many, many times. And when that happens, God is a man of his word. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. We're not like that. Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. But when God says he'll do it, he actually follows through. And so what we know about this is that even though God has to deal out judgment, 
even though God has to deal with things because we're not appropriately walking with him or the people of God, we see that God still is all about restoration. God wants to rebuild. God wants to restore. And the book of Amos points to the Messiah, points to Jesus, who we know. And it's through Jesus that he restores. It's because of Jesus that restoration is possible. And so wherever you're at today, no matter what you've been through today, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what your past looks like or your present, your future can be absolutely full of the restoration of God. The only way that we don't get restored, the only way that that things are not restored is that people don't turn to God. We have to turn to God. If we don't turn to God, what are we expecting to happen? And you say, well, I have turned to God. Now, those of us that are turned to God and we're facing Him, we're walking with Him, let's cry out to God for other people to do the same. Let's ask God. We don't stop by us turning to God. Pastor Ben, I am. Awesome. Now our role is to be intercessors. And a broken world, a dark world, is job security for an intercessor. And that is our role at this time. And that just leads me to the simple plea for you to join us tomorrow, okay? And I know this is a, an event plug at this time, but it's really not about an event. It's about a way of life for the people of God to cry out to Him. Tomorrow, September 26th, we have two opportunities, actually three, for you to join us in prayer. There's a, there's a worldwide event that's happening. It's in our nation. It's the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It's called The Return. I don't know much about the people that are facilitating this event. I do know hundreds of thousands of believers around the United States of America are going to cry out to God, and we're just going to join them. We're not simulcasting this event from our church, but we are joining at three different times. Number one, at 9 a.m. tomorrow in our chapel at Northwest Church in Federal Way. You can join us. Anybody can join us. You just have to come to the property. It's in our chapel. You walk through the main doors, and you turn to the right, and you go down the hall, and you can join us in the chapel. The second time is 3.45. At 3.45 p.m. before our 5 p.m. service, we're going to have an hour of prayer, and we're going to come together and we're going to seek God. We don't know how many people will come, but we're praying that many would come. Would you come and join us and pray for the return of believers and for the nation to come to its knees and bow at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ? There is only one hope for our nation, and that's to put Jesus ever before us, to see him, his death, his burial, his resurrection, to respond to him, to repent, to turn to him with all of our heart. For those of us that have done that, we are praying for those that have not. For those of us that have decided to follow Jesus, especially in this season, we are praying for people to either return to him or we are praying for people to turn to him for the first time. 3.45 p.m. in our chapel, 9 a.m., 3.45 p.m., and then at 5 p.m. we have our service tomorrow and I would love for you to join us inside the sanctuary. We're going to have just a few minutes of prayer to kind of cap off the day in our service together as we cry out to God for the restoration of this nation, that this nation would once again be the sending agent that God has called it to be. I believe the United States of America is a great nation, and what greatness must look like both now and in the days to come is to be the greatest sending agent of the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. And that's what we're praying for and no less. We don't just want this to be a land of safety. 
We don't just want this to be a land of natural freedom. We want it to be a land of spiritual freedom. We want it to be a place where people find Jesus. We want it to be a people that sends the gospel of Jesus. And regardless of who else may do that, we will do that. And so we're going to pray for our nation, and we're asking for you to join us 9 a.m., 3.45 p.m., and 5 p.m. That's tomorrow, September 26. We're joining hundreds of thousands of believers around the nation. Would you join us? If you're part of Northwest Church, join us. If you cannot be here in person, whether that's because you are vulnerable to the virus that is happening in our, in our times, or and you haven't been able to be out and you just don't feel comfortable, we understand that. We will not be live streaming those prayer times, but we maybe I can put that on my phone if you want to follow me on, on social media. We'll probably do that. Um, so make sure to tune in at 345. That was just fresh in right there. I didn't think about it until now, but we can't live stream the actual prayer times, but we will be live streaming our service at 5 p.m. So let's pray together this morning that God would help all of us to return, and then let's cry out for those that have yet to turn so that we would see the restoration in our lives and in our land that only God can bring. Amen? Father, we thank you today for your word And we pray as we read and as we wrap up the book of Amos that, God, you would move in our hearts, stir us to look at you and to look like you. I pray for everybody that's tuning in right now that we would be people that cry out to you. We want to see heaven touch earth in such a way where this nation is never the same. And so right now, Lord, we pray for your church. We pray for your people that you would turn our hearts to you in unity and that we would cry out to see the gospel Go out to this nation and the nations of the earth. Cause your people to return and cause those that have yet to name the name of Jesus to turn to you. We love you, Lord. We look forward to what you're going to do tomorrow as we partner with what you're doing in the world as we're on mission with Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.